All right. So, um, so I guess, I don't know. I'm sort of in awe because I feel like you're such a really in-depth researcher with everything you do about, about aliens. Um, how do you feel about the TV show, like ancient aliens on history channel? Like what's your, what's your vibe with that? I think it's gone on a little too long because they're like, (laughs) yeah, how season 16 or something. Yeah. Like they're spinning their wheels and they're struggling to come up with the new material. And (laughs) what they do is they present the same material over and over again, but they kind of look at like the modern UFO phenomenon and kind of try to fit it into that. So they're really like running out of room. But the, the interesting thing is, is like, the History Channel likes to repackage stuff, so one of the yes. uh, TV shows that they had a few years ago was a show called Hangar One, and it was all about uh, kind of like MUFONs, uh, the Mutual UFO Network's kind of files. They're uh, an investigative group right. in uh, in the States, and they basically like took cases from the like the really big cases from ufo history they kind of put them alongside their own cases and tried to present like different kind of topics like there was one about the the presidents and some of the ufo sightings that they claim to have had um and like a lot of different ones but like they have repackaged that footage so many times and put it into different shows (laughs) it's like Wow, you really get really milking it for all they can. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, this is Relic, the Lost Treasure podcast. Uh, I'm Maxwell, as you may know. Uh, This is not going to be the standard episode where you have to listen to the sound of my voice for 30 minutes (laughs) as I talk about some weird city buried in a desert. Maybe it still exists. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, This is a roundtable style episode. Uh, Kind of we package this as the It Belongs in a Museum series. I think we're still calling it that. Uh, Where we, I, what I I love about doing these roundtable style talks is one, it's so much easier to edit it. So it's really just about me having to do less work. (laughs) And two, I get to bring on really cool podcaster guests from a lot of diverse podcasting communities and find a way to kind of tie them into like the relic schema. So if you'd already maybe taken a guess by now as to what the subject of this episode is, if you haven't read the introduction and you just heard that little diatribe on uh, the History Channel, we're going to be talking about something I've debated speaking about for a while here on Relic, and that is the subject of ancient aliens or ancient astronaut theory. And I'm going to be doing that with Rob Christofferson. Rob? Thank you for bringing me on, man. This is, uh, I I can't wait to talk about this because, like, it's so much fun to rip this stuff apart. It really is. <laughs> um, your podcast, by the way, is out of this world. Well, thank you. Uh, you know, literally, we're at, we, we try to do that, but, like, yeah, man, aliens and stuff. They're aliens. so much fun. Maybe it's aliens. So yeah, Our Strange Skies uh, is Rob's podcast. Really good stuff. And how long have you been running it for? Uh, almost two and a okay. half years at this yeah. point. So you're out. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, I. So one of the reasons why it's taken me so long to come up with an episode on ancient aliens. Um, well, first of all, I wanted to find someone who could actually speak to it 
in the right way, or I, I guess it's all subjective, but what I thought was the right way. And I love your podcast. It's really well researched. It has that healthy dose of skepticism combined with, well, you know, let's believe in people. It's very pragmatic in its approach. So I've really, you know, in, enjoyed you kind of talking about people who've had experience with uh, aliens or UFO activity, whether that's eyewitnesses or sometimes being unwitting, unwitting guests of aliens, uh, which happens, I guess. Um, I guess I kind of want to talk about my experience with uh, aliens and like the study of aliens, UFOs, extraterrestrials, because in many ways, the germ of my interest in Lost Treasure kind of begins with unsolved or unresolved mysteries or like Fortiana phenomena. And that all came from being a very isolated, socially awkward third grader going to the (laughs) occult section of the library and being interested in like Bigfoot and things. Cause my, my father was always interested in science fiction and really weird out there stuff. And my mom is a scientist. So I think she kind of just had a very like novel fascination with a lot of those subjects as well. But all of this kind of came to a head when, did you ever have the scholastic book fair? Do you know what that is? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. (laughs) So the Scholastic Book Fair, for anyone who is unfamiliar with it, is basically the easiest way for uh, capitalist education companies to get your parents' money. And by doing that, they would go to the lot. It would be like once or twice a year or maybe – I mean, we really have semesters when I was a kid. That concept just kind of didn't exist. But essentially – uh, the Scholastic Corporation, which does a lot of children's books, would put on these book fairs where you would be given a piece of paper with all of the book titles or like the computer game software. You would take it in, you'd run amok among the library at all these really colorful, well-marketed displays, and you would just checkmark everything that was way too expensive and then argue with your parents over what they were actually going to buy you. So it was a really big deal. Now, one year... I happened to come across a book called Alien Abductions, which I didn't really understand what that that meant. And I believe the title was literally Alien Abductions. The picture was of a kind of unearthly handprint on a window superimposed over a picture of the galaxy. Very 90s. Very 90s. Like very late 90s, (laughs) early 2000s. And I being of a curious mind, read it and was immediately traumatized and spent many restless nights and my mom complaining to this she didn't complain to the school she complained just in general to me about me not being able to sleep because i thought aliens were going to come into my room and kidnap me because it was a really frightening book because i just the idea that these creatures could come down paralyze you and then take them take you aboard their ship without your consent did not still doesn't quite frankly sit well with me but certainly didn't when i was you know a 10 year old I think I was 10, maybe nine. So that really just sort of planted the seed in my fascination and kind of fear of aliens. And it's really hard when like they show pictures on like, you know, the history channel, obviously of really like cheap suits, people in like these cheap alien, like bug eyed alien, gray alien suits. It's still like gives me this very kind of primal fear. So that's my experience in UFOs and aliens. Where did it begin with you, Rob? Because I'm really interested to know how you just get to the point where you're doing such this really in-depth, engrossing podcast on the subject. 
So for me, it began with the show Unsolved Mysteries. It was a show that, like, we watched as a family. And like, I ha- I a couple years ago, I asked my mom, "Mom, why did you let me watch the show?" I was like eight, nine years old. I'm like, why did we watch the show? And she's just like. You couldn't wait for it to come on. It was your favorite show. I was like, how could this be my favorite show? It traumatized the hell out of me. Yeah, that's what I keep going back to. It's like, if this brought me so much like trauma, why was I so fascinated in it? Right. Like, there's something else within the terror that just like keeps you rooted to wanting to learn more about any kind of subject. And like, that, that was one of them. And I always like really look forward to the unexplained segments that they would have every now and then. Like there was kind of like few and far between because it it had the reputation of being a show that was more true crime ish. Yeah. It's kind of really like a pioneer for true crime because, uh, it wasn't a new, it, it was kind of a news style segment, but it wasn't the news. So, uh, it, it brought something different to the table, but uh, the UFO segments on Unsolved Mysteries really just stuck with me. And uh, there were a couple, uh, the Lonnie Zamora incident, which we just covered, mm-hmm. which uh, was a the a New Mexico police officer witnessed a UFO come down in this arroyo. He witnesses a couple of uh, humanoid figures <laughs> out around this. Uh, this strange object and then it uh they get back in it lifts up and it flies off and uh i think it was the just the credibility of Lonnie Zamora himself cuz he was a no nonsense kind of down to earth guy that would tell it like it is and uh stories like his really just kind of propelled me and like ufo's always hung in the background and then about 5 years ago uh, I was uh, at work, and a friend of mine asked me to go out on a break. And it was like ten thirty in the morning, so it's like, yeah, well, you know, why not? It's it was hot out. It was a it was a June day. It was a nice, clear June day, and uh, we go outside and we're just talking for a couple minutes, and then just looked up in the sky, and there's this what looks like a giant egg. No, floating in yeah, just floating in the air. It looked like it looked like an an egg that had been blown up like a thousand times bigger than what they are, and it was just floating in the air. And then it it was kind of moving parallel to where we were standing, and then like just about to the point where we were standing, it stopped midair, and it, it turned ninety degrees, and then headed in a different direction. It was it was really weird. I so I'm a little bit speechless because i was going to ask you know rather nonchalantly like well have you ever seen a ufo and be prepared for you to like maybe be like well maybe i saw something like in the distance but that just answered my question already and how did you i guess i could say how did you feel in that moment were you fascinated afraid perplexed every like what what like what did that moment do for you in your life in that moment it was weird because we were very kind of invested in what we were looking at, but we were so apathetic to the point where it's like almost like we'd seen this thing a thousand times or something. Oh, because you're it New York, right? So, 
Of yeah, it, it just seems so ordinary and mundane, and I'm like, I've never seen anything like this before. What the hell am I thinking? But, like, oh, the weird thing was is, like, we just didn't want to take a picture of it. And, like, we, uh, me and my friend talked about this, like, endlessly. Is like, why didn't we want to do that? Why didn't we want to take a picture of this? We We had our phones on us. We could have done it, but it was just like, no, I'm perplexed. I'm just going to keep staring at this thing. And it's interesting that you were there with a witness, too, like someone to kind of back you up. Um, do you, When you say that you didn't want to take a picture of it, do you think that there was some sort of influence from this thing you were looking at to maybe make people not want to document it? Or was that just kind of a personal, we're just like so attached and fixated on it? That's the, That's the thing that I just, I keep going back to in my head and I keep questioning like why why didn't I and and like I don't necessarily believe that 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 was really the case but like it's a possibility I I like unless I know 100% I'm not gonna rule anything out but it was just it's it's one of those questions that I'm going to grapple with for the probably the rest of my life. Why didn't I want to take a picture of this dang thing? Well, of course you started a podcast after that. I think that anyone would just immediately, that would propel them to take a deep dive down the rabbit hole. I mean, it certainly would for me, I think. I started to purchase like UFO books like crazy after that. Like I have two full bookcases now at this point, just just full of them and it's like it's a fascinating subject but it's also a subject in which you permanently have to live with the question yeah (laughs) which i think kind of makes life great you know in its weird way that like it's so unknowable it really kind of makes one it almost encourages you to keep living if i know that sounds weird but just just to kind of take in information and to just kind of solve mysteries which is why shows like uh, unsolved mysteries are so appealing um also i plug them all the time but perhaps is you perhaps it's you is a great podcast (laughs) that does just the funniest commentary about unsolved mysteries so definitely check that out they're great I'm big fans of theirs. Yes. Um, yes, they are fantastic. I agree. <laughs> uh, so, and you know, before we get into the subject, here's the thing. If I got a message from aliens saying, hey, we're, you know, from Orion's belt, we're really interested in talking to some humans. Do you want to meet up in this field? Your safety is assured. Just come talk, see how you feel. We'll take you on a spaceship. You'll be unharmed. We'll have a, a chit chat. And then we'll bring you back. If that was how the approach was, I'd be like, oh, of course. This is, I'm absolutely fascinated. I want to know more about what you guys are. Like, where do you come from? What's your deal? Like, this is where we're in, you know, I'd be like, I'm a human. We're actually a really young species. We haven't been around that a lot. You know, not all of us are, are jerks. A lot of us don't want nuclear war. So we're kind of very adolescent. You know, maybe you can give us some advice on how to be, you know, a more coherent non-tribalistic race but the thing is that's not how it works it's just they show up without your consent put the whammy on you and suddenly you've got like (laughs) buried trauma for the rest of your life it's like work on your approach (laughs) like come on (laughs) so that's why i don't like the idea of of aliens busting into my room in the middle of the night um which apparently i heard from you know i guess 
a so-called abductee that if you project like if they're there and you project an aura that you're like you don't have my consent to do this they'll actually like be like oh no that's chill and they'll leave you alone have you heard about that like people talking about that i've heard some people say that they can control like their encounter or, or, or something like that like they can like send out a feeling and it's like yeah we're not cool with this but i think what's interesting about a lot of abduction cases is that you find in many of them they have the same hallmarks so the the visual of the alien almost seems like it's a um kind of this visual cue for people to do something when they see them and most of the time what people do is they just black out uh nine times out of ten they black out there are very few people that have conscious memories between first seeing an alien and then being on board a a, a ufo or something like that it's kind of weird how that happens but it usually happens uh, in most cases is that kind of sort of this lovecraftian mentality of you're seeing something that just you can't comprehend so your brain just shuts off or is that like the power that they like beam into you because honestly, if I was an alien, you get more flies with honey, I would try to like show up as something really appealing or calming and then like kind of take it from there and not just like a terrifying bug-eyed being that's going to make you freak out. It seems to be something that like aliens almost have the ability to do because uh, I just covered this case uh, about this uh, family that had been abducted uh, while they were coming home from a... Uh, babysitting I think a family member and uh, they had they encountered these really tall aliens and what would happen is when they were going to bring them into the room that they conducted the actual actual examination on they would actually put their fingers on their forehead and they'd just black out likewise uh, in a lot of the uh, popular reports with uh, things like greys people talk about them holding a wand in their hand and then using it to knock them out <laughs> so it's something that the aliens they they apparently just have this ability to do i kind of like this kind of x-files cinematic plot idea of where the aliens rock up to do that and then suddenly the human is able to like resist and it causes like a big catalyst where like the aliens are like oh shoot they're evolving now it almost could like i could see that in my head where like the human just kind of goes no and then like psychically like blasts them and the aliens are like what happens next i could i don't know that could be the impetus for for some tv show or something um anyways uh i love talking (laughs) about this but so what is an ancient alien? Why? What is the difference between, like, what in the study of extraterrestrials, what is this niche called ancient aliens? Because it almost seems like archaeology meets UFO. Where does that come about? In a way, yeah. Yeah, in a way it kind of is. Uh, it The uh, ancient, uh, ancient astronaut theory is... Uh, relatively new theory it goes back to 1968 and it goes back to a guy named eric von donneken he published this this book that we know today as chariots of the gods it had a really dumb title to begin with he called it memories of the future (laughs) that's not how that works (laughs) 
<laughs> no, no. Uh, and uh, Chariots of the Gods was actually his British publisher came up with that title because, yeah, Memories of the Future is just bad. But um, So Von Donneken, he's this Swiss hotel manager, and uh, he basically travels the world, looks at these ancient sites, and comes to the conclusion that aliens helped ancient people build megalithic structures, um, you know, monoliths, geoglyphs, like every kind of major ancient structure he attributes to alien intervention. And he kind of puts it in this frame of, like, whenever a text mentions an ancient god, that god is now an alien. So... These aliens, they come, they just give, they either give the ancient people's technology or they just build it for them. You know, it kind of changes every now and then, but uh, it depends on how uh, less racist you want to get with yeah. the theory. But like, there is a lot but of that that's, there, isn't there? Yes, yes, there is, because it's only, it, it's not white people that, you know, have have this problem building things apparently according to von Donneken and uh yeah it's it, it it gets into very racist territory very quick uh, especially if you read chariots of the gods he like talks about these people that built these structures as quote unquote savages mm, he says that three or four times uh there's one time where he where he calls them barbarians and claims that the aliens had to come down to show them uh to keep them from i how did he put it fornicating with animals that's exactly how he put it and it's, it's like God. one of the worst yeah it's really bad it's really freaking bad uh he's been accused of other things in his uh books like uh his fourth book called signs of the gods he claimed that africans were an inferior creation that dissatisfied extraterrestrials. Yeah. Yep. And white people were created because, you know, to be superior. So Ugh. it's it's almost... Well, first of all, I didn't know he was a hotel manager. I actually thought he had an archaeological background. So I'm actually kind of satisfied no, he that he's not. just a dumb... Well, not to say hotel managers yeah. are dumb, but I, I like that he has no credibility to, to start out with. Um, I did not know that... So what you just said reminds me a lot of what the kind of the really far out um, Nazis used to think with like Aryanism, with like the Atlanteans being like the race of white people who begot the, the other white people and like anyone who's not white is a savage. It's very similar to that mindset of just sci-fi racism, we'll call it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And like... uh Von Donneken, he's also a uh, a criminal. So oh. basically what he did is um, in, in 1970, he was convicted of fraud for embezzling $130,000 from the hotel that he managed in order to finance his research trips around the world. So he basically did this on <laughs> the hotel that he managed dime like it, it it's really bad there was um the uh the court actually had a psychologist or a psychiatrist diagnose him as a pathological liar so 
it uh it's bad it, it, there was a um there's a great new york times article from 1974 uh from this one writer that decided to give him a chance kind of to explain his situ- situation uh, his name was uh, richard r uh, lingman and uh he kind of wrote a uh, scathing review of chariots of the gods as most people did uh but uh he basically tried to you know give him an uh, kind of a, a some space to talk about like where his credibility issues are and stuff and it's like every time it would come up he would just kind of divert the problem or he would uh or he would say well oh this person you know uh i forget who the heck it was that was doing the um archaeology on troy allegedly but like brings him up i i know the mad scientist podcast just did a series on it uh it's a great series but uh um, he like, he's just a problematic guy through and through all over the place. And it's, I did a little bit of research on this before coming to the table today, just because I didn't want to walk in not knowing anything. It is interesting that like Carl Sagan kind of entertained, you know, Carl Sagan, famous scientist, cosmologist. Is that the word? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 A lot of credibility to his name. He entertained the idea of ancient aliens with kind of comparing it to when you're i believe it was the french explorer la peruse who actually has a town named after him here not too far in australia he um met a tribe i believe uh it not an inuit tribe but it's a rel i think it either alaska or somewhere cold and he they had an encounter and then like a hundred years later that encounter was had such a profound effect on the people living in that tribe that they still had a very clear record of it passed down through oral history. And so that got Carl Sagan thinking that if maybe aliens had visited us, you know, certain things that we think of as legends or spiritual encounters might be alien encounters from the past but then he was like that is just a theory please do not think it's this is basically me be kind of doing a weird what if do not take it as fact so he was very particular about that it's kind of like uh during world war ii um when we were you know island hopping in the pacific and like there were some islands where um some of the uh natives had never seen like modern uh, machinery and stuff like that to the point where they would build these um wooden planes to try to get them to come back because like they had like canned food and stuff so why wouldn't you want them to come back yeah you know? cargo cults um yeah, exactly. which i think is so fair because i think you know we as two white guys living in a modern world communicating with technology from two sides of the planet I think we have to realize that the scientific method is really used in cases of spirituality. I mean, these are people who've never been exposed to the outside world. It's all just it's all just trial and error. So they're like, plants, this thing shows up. We don't know why. It gives us it gave us food or cargo. 
how let's try different ways of trying to replicate that so what do we know we don't really know much anything let's try to create an image of that thing maybe they'll see it and they'll react so it is really using the scientific method it's very advanced and i don't think we we don't credit the our ancient ancestors and we don't credit people who have not received the same technology that the developing world has humans are we're not idiots 3000 years ago our brains were actually you know similar we just didn't have the technology we're a very smart species we do a lot of dumb things but we're very smart and that's everywhere in the world and so i i hate when people are like oh these are primitive people these are people who are just doing what we've been doing for hundreds of years which is mistakes trial and error and seeing what works mm-hmm. do you know yeah. So that's yeah. why I take a lot of issue with the kind of the ancient aliens approach to things like the pyramids, which we'll discuss in a bit. Because it, it just makes it's just like, oh, these were a bunch of dummies who didn't know what they were doing. So they had aliens have to like engineer it. So it's like when we look at things in, you know, northern South America or Stonehenge and like, how did they do it? Because we certainly can't do it with the tools they had. Well, maybe they did. Maybe. I mean, they had a lot of time on their hands. They had a lot of trial and error. They had a lot of smart people. And they were, in many ways, probably more communal oriented and closely knit. So you had a people, a lot of people listening to each other and arguing and agreeing on things and coming together to create something that they felt um, strongly about, whether that's a pyramid or what we call Stonehenge or what have you. Um you know, amazing feats of engineering. Like down in South Australia, they have the Bunjbim archaeological site, which was created by um, predecessors of the Aboriginal people now living in that area. That was just a system of canals and dams to trap eels. And it was incredibly intricate and very efficient. And it caused that community to stop being nomadic and stay in that area because why would you, you had a good thing going. Why would you want to leave? And this was before the time pyramids were built. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of going on a spiel, but but yeah. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, we definitely don't, uh, the, these folks that ascribe to this, this, I don't even want to call it a theory. It's, it's heavy speculation, but like, assuming that they're not intelligent, um, like one, one of the arguments that they bring up all the time on Ancient Aliens is that like they the ancients didn't understand like astronomy or or stuff like that? How did they get their their structures to line up to Orion's belt? Well, they looked up in the air and they and they saw it and they're like, oh hey, let's build this here. It seems and significant. They had time. They had time yes. to look at the stars, chart them. And probably people who are really passionate about it that they in the community were like, you go off and do that. We have something to learn from it. So, yeah. Well, that was cool. Do you want to go into maybe some <laughs> examples of places in the world that kind of get the the scrutiny of the ancient aliens concept? Yeah, let's do it, man. Let us do this. <laughs> let's start with the big one. The pyramids. Are they just grain silos? <laughs> You, the pyramids are interesting because, like, and these are the pyramids at Giza, just to be specific. Yes, the yes, uh, like they people are like they're still trying to figure out within a certain time frame how the pyramids were built. They pretty much have a you know a decent idea of how they were. Like, 
if this is a, if the great pyramid itself is like one man's ego, they, they did a hell of a job. That thing is, the thing is huge. Uh, but like, there's no way, there's no evidence to suggest that aliens built this, which is, or gave, uh, the Egyptians technology to do that. One of the things that people on that show like to state is that the ancients used almost like a magic carpet to move the blocks. I'm like, where are you getting this? What are we talking about here? A magic carpet that could just levitate and lift these blocks. Okay. Yeah. Like I don't see that in any of those hieroglyphs, man. I just don't even know. Which you would. You think you would something of that nature would pop up in image for people who actually managed to record their history. Yeah, and one thing that they point to on that show, and I don't remember exactly where, I don't know if it's in one of the pyramids or not, but there's this, like, hieroglyph that they say looks like a helicopter, a submarine, and uh, I think, like, a car or something like that. And I'm, like, thinking to myself, one, if... Aliens are coming here. Why would they have a helicopter? That makes zero sense. Why would they have why would they need a helicopter? Like clearly their their vehicles would vastly outperform anything that we have today. So that that makes no sense, but another thing that like they like to point to over and over again is like they'll look at like whatever kind of um say like uh any kind of cave drawings or something like that and they see something with big eyes and they're like gray aliens the problem with that is like the gray alien stereotype is not that old it's it goes back to 1987 so like that in and of itself does not make any sense why would i do have something about that yeah Um. it's, it's like so realistically the gray alien and where it comes up in the iconography is due to a guy named Whitley Strieber. Uh, he published a book in 1987 called Communion. And on the cover of that book, there is this really freaky looking alien on the front of it. And it looks like a gray, except it's like tan skin, but has those really large, dark eyes that are slanted. Uh, it has a small mouth and tiny nose. And that's where, like, the gray stereotype comes from. So, like, talking about these ancient drawings as grays literally makes no sense when we've only had it for, like, 30-some-odd years. Yeah. I think one of the images that sticks most with me from people talking about the pyramids being built by aliens is the really bad mid 2000s CGI from ancient aliens, the show showing the pyramids as generators beaming things into the sky. Yes. Like some sort of Stargate nonsense. It's probably my favorite. Yes. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of very big misconception about the pyramids. Uh, I know that we know they were not built by slaves. They were no. built by people kind of in the off season. Um, I just think with a lot of these, and I, this is a really dumbed down speculation from someone who is not an archaeologist and he's not educated professionally in history, is more of a hobbyist, is that humans also just do stuff because it's cool and because we're bored. 
And I think a lot of that could have come out. And it's just, you want to leave your mark on the world. And you want to kind of have these achievements that people were able to get together and do something. So I think a lot of that comes from that mentality as well. Um, what else did I have? So I had the pyramids. My So my favorite thing that I'm going to talk about is the Nazca lines mm. and the palpus glyphs, which I learned recently are two different things. Yeah, slightly. So the Nazca lines, this is, and this is a lot of this granted is from Wikipedia. Again, never use Wikipedia as a source, but use it as a jumping off point for other sources because there's a lot of great links on Wikipedia articles. But the Nazca lines are essentially a bunch of geoglyphs that uh, were carved into the earth that can be found in the, the deserts of Peru. They're remarkably well preserved because of the landscape there. And essentially, because the top of the earth oxidizes, you, when you make an indentation in it it digs up that new soil and so it's kind of the stark contrast uh i think the desert planet of crate from star wars kind of a reverse of that where Mm. you've got that red soil underneath the white it's kind of red soil and then like there's um sort of whiter soil underneath it um or rocks or whatever i'm not a geologist what do i know so there are these lines in the earth that just go on for you know some of their only a foot some other six feet maybe some are almost half a mile just there's a lot of interesting indentations in the earth and no one really knows why they're there there there's theories that they could be you know places that point to water there could be a spiritual significance um and then adjacent to them and distinct which i learned are a bunch of picture pictorial glyphs in the earth that are kind of just like you got the lines and now you've got taking those lines and turning them into like pictures uh and these are known as the palpus glyphs and they're separate and i learned this recently because i talked about the nazca lines with courtney from the cult of domesticity and i just thought they were the same thing these are the palpus glyphs and they're pictures of hummingbirds condors spiders monkeys flowers and in particular, there's a humanoid figure that's sometimes referred to as the giant, but I've also mm-hmm. seen people call it the astronaut. And it's people think that the people who ascribe to ancient aliens theory think that that's a sign of an alien because it is this kind of astronauty looking figure with big eyes in what appears to be a space helmet. That's one interpretation. Another theory is that these these glyphs were made to try to summon water that they have spiritual significance or that they were put in the earth so that the gods would see them and, you know, send rain and good tidings down to the planet. People argue that you, the big question is why would you create something that you can't see from the earth? So clearly the gods had to see it or aliens. Well, if you go to the surrounding hills or cliffs overlooking it you can actually see these glyphs from high above mm-hmm. yeah so i think people forget that so ancient astronaut hypothesis takes two distinct approach to the nazca lines and the palpus glyphs which is that the glyphs like the, the the lines like the actual lines uh or tracks were used by flying saucers as a kind of terrestrial landing strip like an airport for ufos um and then the other, of course, is that the palpus glyphs were created to attract aliens 
and in fact one of them represents like a gray alien uh and that's largely discredited now but i i guess the question is why did people make these things um so do you have any two cents on the nazca lines slash palpus glyphs yeah so one of the things that we do know is that uh archaeologists have found next to these uh the palpus glyphs um broken pieces of pottery and one of the theories that they've suggested is that what they would do is the nazca people would uh essentially drink uh, kind of like a an ayahuasca kind of solution and basically walk the lines as like a spiritual kind of path and they would hallucinate. And and I do believe they tested like some of the pottery that was found and there was like residue left over of like psychedelics or something like that. But uh I remember uh watching a uh, I think it was like a Discovery Channel like program on that like a, f- a decade ago. It was it's really fascinating, but uh yeah, I I would point to these being of like a spiritual significance more than like say water and like we i think if we really wanted to point to aliens in this situation as like being the um reason these are created i would expect to see like things that like animals or something that you wouldn't find in like South America or anything like that. Like if, yeah. if he was, if he was like show, if they were like showing me like a, a new world or an old world monkey instead of a new world monkey, yeah, that might be significant. But like most of what you see is like, you got a hummingbird, old world monkey, there's a whale, um, the really tall human, but it's like, there's nothing out of the ordinary in those glyphs that like really, suggest that hey it is aliens it's like if you really wanted to if aliens really wanted to stick out like maybe they'd do something like that really throw people off but there's also one theory uh proposed by one guy that says that the ancients had old hot air balloons <laughs> yes and i think i saw that on unsolved mysteries maybe yes. i'm hallucinating but i seem to remember something like that Yes, yeah, I I think so, but, like, it's an interesting theory, I don't think it really holds up, but, like, it's kind of (laughs) cool. I mean, some argue that those triangle shapes that are in the palpus glyphs could be the UFOs you sometimes see that almost remind me of the Star Destroyers. Yeah. Again, more Star Wars references, just because it's a good comparison. Uh, But, yeah, no, I feel like we would see weirder things, because a lot of the glyphs are things that are recognizable, like, you know. Yeah, maybe they're just ancient emojis. Who knows? Yeah, right. Like you know, throw a monkey in there; they'll get the point. <laughs> so the somewhat well, it is one of the Americas. I guess it's not that close, but uh, in the archaeological site of Palenque or La Cama, which is in southern Mexico, it's a Mayan city. Uh, that dates to 226 BC to uh, Common Era 799, maybe. <laughs> as soon as I say that, I see that the Wikipedia says citation needed. Great. Yeah. We're doing great here with my research. <laughs> well, you can just look it up yourself. But it was an ancient city that uh, is 
what's interesting is that only 10% of the area of the city has been uncovered because most of it was absorbed by the jungle. Yep. And yeah. it still still is up there in the jungle. But it's a really cool site. One of the things that people point to, I think it's a Vavon Daniken actually, is that there is a sarcophagus that was found at the site from the leader Palka, I believe. Can you tell, talk to us a little bit about that sarcophagus? Because you'd mentioned it earlier. So on the the relief on top of the sarcophagus, there is uh, Pakal, he's kind of like, he's angled back. Like, it's supposed to symbolize his journey into the underworld, essentially. Like, he's going down into it. But uh, if you turn it sideways, people claim that he is flying a rocket ship that he has like <laughs> he has this tube in his nose that people are claiming is oxygen he's got his hands on the controls and if you look at the bottom it looks like a rocket like you know shooting fire but like why again why would aliens have technology that we would have to get to earth that that just makes no, no sense to me. And to, 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 I hate to say this, but to his, to Van Daniken's credit, I can see it. <laughs> like, and what I hate is that I never saw that thing until it was told to me that it was a rocket ship. So now all I can see is a rocket ship. Right. And that sucks because if I had seen it independently, not knowing it, I might have been like less biased. But now, mm-hmm. of course, there's a confirmation bias where all I see is the rocket ship. Which is dumb. <laughs> but but yeah, the rocket ship itself is supposed to be the tree of life. And when I looked at examined it closer, it's just a lot of abstract lines and curves and things like that. It, so, I mean, it you know, you could make the argument that I guess it's a rocket ship if you wanted to. Is that really all of it? I mean, it's really just Von Daniken. No one else has ever brought that up. And there's no evidence that the Mayans had rocket technology no there's never any evidence that anybody has like like there's no advanced like uber advanced technology like the antikythera mechanism it's cool that one it's cool as hell but it's not so far advanced that nobody at that time really could have you know couldn't have built it so like you know, we know that it was most likely used to like track like the the uh, it's like a calendar or something like that to track the, the yeah I, th- I think like the moon or something like that. But um, or the, the Olympics also yeah. is yeah. on it, like the old ones, of course. Or maybe who knows? Maybe it's a memory of the future. Oh God, the uh, worst title for a book <laughs> ever. <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't know that until today, so thank you for that, Chestnut. Of course. Uh, the Antikythera, or Antikythera, I pronounce it a different way each time. It's fun like that. <laughs> to be wrong, it's, it's fun being wrong. Yeah. Um, that is, it was discovered in the, the region of Antikythera from a shipwreck, and it's got a lot of gears on it. It's kind of this, like, old calendar, and... The gag is, I suppose, is like, how did they have gear clockwork technology, which didn't show up until the 1400s? Uh, And yeah, people think it's maybe there's an alien thing related to that. Why not? I think just anything, anything that we don't fully understand, you can attach an ancient aliens thing to kind of fill in the blanks. It's like the Mad Libs of radical fringe history. It's 
if you really think about it, ancient astronaut theory is kind of this indictment of archaeology in that archaeology, one, it's a very destructive, for as much as it uncovers, it's a very destructive science. And that's just by design. Like, there's no way to avoid that. But, like, it almost seems like a theory that arises because one guy doesn't like that archaeology is not giving us the answers fast enough. And, like, it, it, there's, like, a sense, almost a sense of entitlement there. And, like, I I can't stand it. Like, I would, like, I know Von Donikin's an old man, but I'd still probably punch him right in the face for all this crap. Yeah, same. That doesn't take me a lot to, to want to do that to people. Uh, <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> what the, why would I say that? That's not true. Uh, I mean, I, it's very easy to get frustrated by people, but I would, I, I haven't punched anyone in the face yet and I'm 30. So chances are, you know, we've got a good track record. Uh, <laughs> this next one make, like I see it. And I, I feel like a lot of these that we say, we say it and like, we're like, this is the geographic region. And then we sigh because we have to say something stupid next. <laughs> but I'm going to really feel like that in a second because so there's this ancient Sumerian myth uh, called the and my Sumerian isn't great. The Enuma Elish, um, which was found on cuneiform tablets in the library of Ashurbanipal, uh, great Sumerian king. And it talks about the the Anunnaki, <laughs> and I can't see that word with just being reminded of the game FAQs, unresolved mysteries, message board, circa two thousand seven, when everything that people, when everyone was just a radical conspiracy theorist who didn't have any power until like you know ten years later they did, and it's terrifying and everything's terrible. Um, they would talk about this. This was like the hot button issue. The Anu- the Anunnaki Nibiru Planet X. And it just sounded like the dumbest thing ever, but also really interesting in the way that ancient alien theory is the dumbest thing ever, but also really interesting. Can you, because I don't have the patience, talk to me about the Anunnaki in a, and I'm going to challenge you to do it in a concise way that doesn't sound ridiculous. <laughs> it doesn't sound ridiculous. I'll try. Uh, so, uh, yeah, when we talk about the Anunnaki, we got to talk about a guy named Zechariah Sitchin. Zechariah, he uh, he translated the tablets himself, and uh, his translations are pretty radical. He basically claims that there were these bearded gods, the Anunnaki, they came down to Earth. They saw kind of what was uh, already here, ancient man, decided to mess with their DNA, and, uh, you know, put them to work, mining gold for them. That's because they ri- couldn't do it themselves. Yeah, like you've got their technology. Yeah, I know. You got you've got like great ships that'll get you here and you don't have like decent mining equipment? Like that's pretty damn lazy. I'm not down with that. Is is it worth it to talk about Nibiru and the Planet X? Cuz that's kind of getting into like doomsday <laughs> really, and the world it's... stuff. Yeah, right. It's like that's it's depressing. It really is. And like, if you really, uh, there's a great website. Uh, if you really want like a point by point, like takedown of Sitchin's, um, uh, theories, it's called Sitchin is wrong.com. I love it. Short and to the point. Yeah. 
Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm not going to waste more than 30 seconds on it, but the Nibiru theory is that these gods came from a 12th planet called Nibiru that will inevitably, even though there's no evidence ever for it existing, is going to like circle back on its bizarre orbit and destroy the world, like some sort of Lars von Trier film. Uh, yeah, that's really all, all about that. <laughs> I kind of have one kind of Australian specific thing that sometimes gets lumped in with ancient aliens. Um, is there anything that we haven't mentioned that's definitely worth like exploring? I think one thing that Von Daniken goes back and forth over is something called the Perry Reese map, which uh, is like a map of, it shows kind of like the edge of South America, and it allegedly shows what Antarctica looks like without any ice on it. I don't think that's like 100% accurate. And in Chariots of the Gods, Von Donneken says, well, for Piri Reese to make this map, he had to have seen a picture. A picture of the way uh, Antarctica looked before there was any ice on it. And I'm like, if... If he saw a picture, why does he need a map? <laughs> like, what are we doing here? Like, from an alien? Like, yes. if he just, like, an alien was like, here, flip through my photos, don't swipe left, here's a picture of Antarctica without ice on it, here's us building the pyramids, here's us mining gold. Yeah. Like, it's just... Well, there is and, a like, whole kind Antarctica of weird... Gets, Antarctica gets a bad rap. And the reason that, like, every worst conspiracy theory that you can think of is linked with Antarctica. So one of them is that the Nazis, the Nazis. went there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Admiral Hitler's Byrd. still there. Yeah. Admiral Byrd allegedly flew, like, you know, down there and allegedly, you know, engaged in a fight with, like, Nazis that had UFOs and stuff. It's a really weird theory. But, like... You know, people are saying that Antarctica has um, pyramids on it, and even though it's like mountains, they're they're mountains. Like, why are we why are we even do- <laughs> why are they even doing this? But like, Antarctica gets like a bad rap. I think people need to leave it alone. Just let it freeze down there <laughs> for as long as yeah, it can, and and stay frozen ideally. Yes. Uh, yeah. th- and there's uh, I guess like the hollow earth, the entrance to the hollow earth is there maybe. Yeah. It, it's yeah. Uh, one of the places. Yeah. And uh, allegedly, you know, down there, that's where the Nazis keep their UFOs. <laughs> I'm just, I think what reflecting on this, I think what angers me the most is the, the, the people who believe this are the people who are currently propping up America right now. And it's just, it's depressing. It is depressing. Yeah. <laughs> So there is uh, there is a belief from ancient uh, ancient astronaut theorists that a lot of the rock paintings and uh, rock art in Australia from various Aboriginal nations points to visitation mm-hmm. by ancient aliens. Now, also on that note, did the Perry Reese map show Australia? Because that, in and the the existence of Australia in and of itself was like a huge mystery for, well, obviously to the people who didn't already live here for for a while. Did was there any of that talk in the Perry Reese map? No, because that would be the big right. Right now, they were they were just like 
big on Antarctica. Oh, well, I mean, this map has to be ancient because it shows Antarctica without any ice on it. And, and clearly, he had to see a picture of it in order to draw it. And, so, like, alien, <laughs> like, he got his hands on some alien Polaroids. Hot damn. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, took away the most boring stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Ab- Aboriginal Australia... The people of Australia, the first people of Australia have lived here for 80,000 years, and they basically took a very harsh environment and turned it into a sustainable agricultural landscape everywhere. And they had a lot of time to do it. And it's really fascinating. And it kind of ties back into that whole very sort of racist ancient aliens mindset of people of white people just thinking that people who are don't have the same skin color aren't capable of doing anything these are people who turned a whole wasteland into just you know a sustainable community for a while unfortunately they didn't have a a tremendous amount of resources or access access to things to i guess get to the level of technology that you know places like the aztecs or the europe the europeans were doing in the 1400s but that's just kind of being dealt a bad hand and doing a lot of good with it and being able to coexist uh in a what's arguably a very harsh terrain now out of that there's a lot of beliefs in ancestors and creator gods this is and this is a very sort of lumping in approach but there is this um belief in the dream time which was the period where the ancient uh ancestors and beings who we would not recognize as human kind of created australia as we would see it and left behind their signature and some of these a specific grouping of these beings are spirits that uh are I, be- I think there's, uh, there's the other thing is that there's a lot of commonality between the nations. So there's sort of like a blending in and like a trading of beliefs. But specifically, we're looking at the Mwanjam people who are live in the Kimberley Desert region of Australia. So we're like, where's the Kimberley region? I don't live there. It's the northwest and it's very deserty. So these spirits are called the Wanjina, and that's probably not how you pronounce it, but. They are water and rain spirits, and the legend has it that they came down, they helped create the landscape, they had a hand in a lot of water, which of course is an incredibly important resource, and then the they put their images and painted their images on the rocks as a testament before they kind of... Wanted to, found a place to die and entered a watering hole and either died or ascended that's a very white american way of interpreting a thousand year old system of folklore but that's what you have so the the idea was that the moanjum and people who believe in these beings would paint their images and repaint them whenever they started to fade because you know weather is a thing Mm -hmm. uh to kind of keep the spirit alive and the idea is that they still exist out here watching over the land and you know the respect paid to them is in painting their images by specific people so only a couple the only specific members of certain clans or tribes can paint these beings 
And again, to a white American from Connecticut, when I looked at these paintings, I thought, oh, those are aliens. Like when you look at them, they do look like gray aliens. And I will show you a picture. But see, now I've told you that you're going to see it. So I shouldn't have done that. But it's (laughs) fine. There are these are sacred works of art. You they the certain I guess in Perth, someone was doing graffiti of them and that rightfully angered a lot of people from the Mwanjim community who are like, look, there's only a couple of people who are allowed to do this. But there, it's an ancient tradition that goes back. And then like they found records from 4,000 years ago. The layers of paint are like really thick. And a lot of people like Von Daniken think that this is evidence that aliens came down, met with the aboriginals of that region, and this is kind of just a cultural memory of that meeting, and they got interpreted as spirits or gods. Now, obviously that sort of approach is considered offensive and culturally insensitive. Yes. Um, The metaphysics I don't understand, and it probably varies from tribe to tribe of dream time belief systems, but... and. My understanding and or lack thereof is that time and space don't work in a linear fashion or as we would, you know, us Americans might recognize it. But the idea is that those spirits haven't left really. So they're not it's not like they came down and they went bye bye. They they're still there and they still have an influence on the land. And when you look at the rock art of the Hopi. You also see something similar where you've got these big headed beings with eyes and mouths. And I think that's just because that's that's so the way you when you're trying to when you're starting to show what humans look like, what do you do? You draw the head, you draw circles for the eyes and you draw a circle for the mouth. Mm -hmm. And when we now see ancient aliens or sorry, gray aliens, we just kind of are like, well, that's sort of what those things look like. So, anyways, that's my spiel on that. Um, I guess, do you want to talk about plasma sky theory? Do you know about that? That would uh, probably be the only thing I'd touch upon. Uh, no tiny bit about it. It's just... And I, I bring that up because that seems to be, like, the in vogue emerging pseudoscience. Well, I don't know if it's fair to call it pseudoscience because there is some... I don't know if there's credibility there. It does seem like something, but I... I also don't know enough about it to make that judgment, but it seems to be this kind of third way to the approach of ancient aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like the, the lens through which people were viewing things were a little bit different. Allegedly that, you know, I don't know, you have this plasma layer or whatever up above in the atmosphere and like that colors the way that you see things and and such it's it's kind of like um uh the, the reason that stars twinkle so or like the aurora borealis yeah yeah i so. guess like my understanding was like so we have the aurora borealis which comes about because of like how radiation hits the ionosphere i mm-hmm. that's absolutely not correct but we have the aurora borealis and we know what it is big wavy lighty thing in the north and I guess the idea with plasma theory is that that type of phenomena that we can see sometimes in a specific region of the world was more prevalent and in a more kind of dramatic way all the time. Yeah, just uh, yeah, just uh, distorting 
you know, people's view up above, and it's like, eh. I don't know if I totally ascribe to the theory. It's uh, it's an interesting one, kind of plausible, but, uh, yeah, I think they need to, uh, I think it needs a little more, I don't know, time, really. Yeah, and I think w- one of the theories of it is that that's why these, so you look at rock paintings in the Kimberley region of Australia, and you look at the the rock paintings in the American Southwest, and like, why do these look the same? Um, it, it's the idea that people were looking up at the same sky, theoretically, and interpreting what they saw. And one of the arguments is that the spiral shape of concentric circles looks a lot like when radiation hits the Earth, mm. I guess, right. sometimes. And they point to things like, in a lot of aboriginal iconography that concentric circle image is interpreted as a holdover from that well again not aboriginal but i do know that 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 image of the concentric circles in i think almost all of the nations here that means meeting place Mm -hmm. and so that that it doesn't come from the sky that means like the three i don't know what it, it where it originates from but that symbol means meeting place like this is you put that on like a map and you know that's where you kind of like meet to discuss things. So that automatically rules that out. Um, I don't know. Final thoughts on this? It's like, it's like, it's cool, but it's also dumb. I just, I feel two minds about it. Yeah, it's, I, I, I don't know. Unless it could be like proposed in a more plausible way. No, I, uh, man, no. No way. <laughs> so I guess before we kind of go into the plugging, I mean, you, I would assume you, you do definitely believe in aliens. Yeah. I, I, I believe that, you know, we're definitely not alone in the universe. There's, there's gotta be something else out there. I mean, it, it's almost like a biological programming, uh, you know, certainly it's like a, an ego check kind of thing. But, like, I also think we're biologically programmed to, you know, want to believe that there's something else out there. It's got to be something else out there because nobody wants to believe that uh, it's a lonely universe out there and we're the only kind of advanced, intelligent thing out there that wants to or exists at all. Yeah, of course. It's human nature. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that aliens in the have visited humans in the past i'm of all of these things we looked at do you think that there's any evidence that of contact in the ancient past no uh to me there it's all subjective it's not like any ancient culture has this like really advanced piece of technology from their past that this has you know been passed down from generation to generation if you had something like that that would be kind of interesting it would be intriguing but there's really nothing in the archaeological record to suggest that we had contact with aliens back in you know ancient times it's just nothing there to convince me of that uh there's an interesting book uh by a guy named philip coppins he passed away uh, almost a decade ago now but uh it's called the ancient alien question and he kind of picks apart like von donnekin in it like he he set out to 
pretty much like pick apart every like theory in chariots of the gods but at the end of the day he came to the conclusion that through like psychedelics like ayahuasca and substances like that that is where the ancients had their contact with like aliens and stuff because if you look at the accounts of people who have um, experimented with dmt or have gone to south america to drink ayahuasca or smoke it they the the experiences that they describe are awfully similar and mm-hmm. a lot of the a lot of them come away interacting with these strange beings sometimes they even describe interacting with things that look like gray so uh it's kind of interesting to note those similarities and that south american cultures have been drinking that substance for a long time so it's interesting to put it into that kind of frame and and think that you know maybe they did have contact with something maybe taking that substance opened them up to a different type of experience a different type of world that they can't see around them and initiated communication with beings like that i just given the reports that I've, you know, read for the last few years, it's like, I kind of believe that there's some kind of intelligence out there that does make contact with us. It hand-selects the people that it wants to talk to and interact with. It presents itself in the way that it chooses to present itself within. And for the longest time, if you look at the reports of people interacting with aliens from, say, like... 19 the late 40s up until 1987 they all look very different they all look very weird uh they there's some are tall some are short um there's a weird case in 1958 i think in switzerland where these two young guys driving in a car uh come across this weird glowing light and it's not like a humanoid type figure that they see, but it's a, uh, the, what they call jelly bags. <laughs> like, just like, uh, that's very Lovecraftian. Yeah. It's like, like almost like balls of plasma that ended up, you know, attacking them. It was very weird. Um, but like, it seems like there's some kind of advanced intelligence that chooses to interact with us in this way. Like, UFOs are a relatively modern phenomenon. There are some, you know, reports to suggest, or at least, like, the way that they're presented in, like, some ancient accounts to make you think, like, well, maybe there were lights in the sky that people did see. I mean, the um, the alleged battle over Nuremberg and like yeah, the 1500s, I, 1600s. Yeah, that's I forgot to bring that up. Like this like the actual engravings and sketches of not so much ancient but medieval, like medieval aliens. Yeah, exactly, and it's like you either have to um attribute like they attribute that uh, to sun dogs, which I don't think like th- there's no way that that kind of phenomena could make people believe that an an air battle was going on not to mention that 
there were eyewitnesses that claim that some things like fell to the ground and were smoking and stuff like that. And like those counts are always interesting. There's a really interesting account from the uh, early 1600s from the uh, Massachusetts colony. This guy uh, named James Everall, he was a, um, he was a pioneer and he was in a canoe one night. He was doing some night fishing with a couple of guys and they ended up seeing this, uh, they called it a light, but like when it would move, they said it took on the form of like a pig, a swine. So every time it moved back and forth, they would uh, look like a swine in the sky. And then what they found was their boat had been pushed back against the current to like about a mile to the place, almost to the place where they started from, which is really interesting. Like the, the, those accounts are always interesting, but like whatever this is, it seems to be able to shape itself in the way that it wants to, to present itself to people. And like, if we go down that rabbit hole and you look at the grays, it, it's, it like took on this form that everybody seems to recognize because a lot of people have those primal, kind of fear moments every time they you know look at a gray image or something like that like a lot of people started to feel that uh and then they started to discuss their own abductions experiences in the past with these beings which nobody had reported before 1987 so it's kind of it's kind of interesting i think there's definitely an advanced intelligence that can take on a form and present itself to people, basically. I'm really blown away and fascinated by everything you just said. <laughs> and I, I'm i just going to let that sit. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. Uh, do you, do you want to plug anything? Do you, Where can people find you? So if you want to connect with me, I've, I'm on pretty much every social media platform. Uh, through the Our Strange Guys podcast, uh, if you go on over to OurStrangeGuys.com, head on down to the bottom of the main page. It has all our social media links, as well as links to episodes and uh, all sorts of fun stuff over there. I also do uh, another podcast with my buddy Brian. It's called The Coda, a music podcast, and uh, we just dish about music for an hour and a half every other week. It's great. Awesome. Um... Well, you can find Relic at Lost Treasure Pod on Twitter. We have a Facebook group. Just type in Relic the Lost Treasure Podcast. You'll find it. Uh, Patreon.com slash Relic, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's that's it. I'm going to walk away from this episode with a lot to think about. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you. Thank you.